This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath. And feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode from the midweek edition of the Coin Bureau podcast. Every week, I pick out two of my favorite videos from Coin Bureau's YouTube channel to present to you in podcast form. The audio you're about to hear is from those videos I've chosen this week. Many of you have been in touch to ask whether it's possible to listen to our videos in podcast format, and so, your wish is my command. This week, I've selected our videos on weather modification and the White House's efforts to crack down on cryptocurrency. Now, every so often, we like to go a bit off-piste here at Coin Bureau and look into something removed from crypto. It could be a scandal from the world of traditional finance or, as in today's case, some strange goings-on that don't get nearly the amount of media coverage they should. Humans have been trying to control the weather for millennia, but it wasn't until the 20th century that we started getting any good at it. 
It's now thought that many countries around the world are involved in weather modification schemes of some kind, both for benign and possibly nefarious purposes. What's striking is that the technology which has been developed to make this possible is, in many cases, apparently extremely effective. In the first part of today's episode, I look at some of these technologies and tackle the question of why hardly anybody seems to be talking about this. Next up, a look at what's been going on with regards to crypto at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C. You might recall that President Biden issued an executive order about cryptocurrency all the way back in March, and the deadline for U.S. agencies to submit their responses to it fell earlier this month. Shortly afterwards, the White House released a summary of these responses as a, quote, comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. This report has important implications for cryptocurrency, which is why we've read and summarized it for you. I hope you enjoy listening to these two pieces, and I'll be back talking crypto with Mike very soon, so be sure to stay tuned. And if you want even more content from Coin Bureau, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit us on social media too. Humans have been trying to control the weather since the dawn of time, and to this day, it's generally believed to be something that we can't do very well, if at all. Well, what if I told you that almost every major country is actively modifying the weather, and that the effectiveness of such technologies has been increasing exponentially? Being British, I can't possibly pass up an opportunity to talk about the weather, so today, I'm going to give you a brief history of weather modification, go over the different methods and their effectiveness, and examine whether this technology is secretly being used for nefarious purposes. As I mentioned in the introduction, humans have been trying to control the weather for thousands of years through all sorts of rituals. More often than not, these rituals were meant to try and appease a god to cause rain, usually in response to a drought or to try and prevent a dry season. This is actually the same reason why most governments continue to try and manipulate the weather today, at least on paper. More about that later. Now, not surprisingly, none of the historic rain rituals were successful, and their perceived success was only ever due to coincidence rather than any solid science. Then again, nobody can say for sure because it's harder to figure out what happened the further back you go. What is well documented is that many militaries around the world started to notice that rain would fall after large battles involving lots of gunfire in the 17 and 1800s. This resulted in the United States and others trying to cause rain by shooting into the sky, but it's believed that these experiments failed. We now know that air pollution has the potential to seed clouds, and it's believed that this is the main reason why there is now less snow and ice in mountainous areas. Clouds are seeded prematurely by car pollution, causing it to rain or snow before the clouds can reach the mountains, the more you know. Now, it wasn't until the late 1800s that a German-American inventor named Louis Gathman proposed a scientific way of creating rain, specifically by shooting liquid carbon dioxide into clouds. 
It was around this time that so-called rainmakers started to emerge across the United States. Now, rainmakers were basically travelling showmen who would try and modify the weather using a series of chemicals, among other things. Although most rainmakers were not much better at making it rain than the ancient ritualists, there was one man who seemed to have a high success rate, and his name was Charles Hatfield. Charles became famous in 1904 when he caused it to rain over Los Angeles using a series of towers spraying chemicals into the sky. When he was asked about how he did it, Charles reportedly said, quote, I do not make it rain. That would be an absurd claim. I simply attract clouds and they do the rest. This is why the city of San Diego contacted Charles at the end of 1915 in the middle of a massive drought. Charles agreed to their request to make it rain and even said the city only had to pay him if he succeeded, a deal too good for San Diego's officials to pass up. Charles's confidence didn't disappoint because in January 1916, he made it rain so much that many parts of San Diego experienced floods, something he achieved by reportedly burning chemicals in a forest outside of the city. 1916 would go on to be the wettest year in the region's history. Now, as amazing as Charles's rainmaking was, it was still more showmanship than science. It was hard to prove that Charles's chemical shenanigans were the actual cause of the rain, particularly in 1916 when the rains continued long after his modification. This is why Charles's rainmaking is disputed to this day. This is also why the history of weather modification is more often associated with Vincent Schaefer, an American scientist who's credited with the creation of cloud seeding in 1946 while he was working as a researcher at General Electric. What's wild is that Vincent reportedly discovered cloud seeding by accident. The story goes that he was working on another project related to ice formation on aircraft when he breathed into a box where he'd placed dry ice, causing ice crystals to form in the air. Note that ice crystals form before rainfall. By the end of 1946, Vincent had developed a way to consistently seed clouds using aircraft to create both rain and snow, and shortly afterwards he was contacted and contracted by the US military to continue his cloud seeding research. Note that I'm leaving out some details here for the sake of time. Now, in 1947, Vincent worked with the US military on Project Cirrus to weaken hurricanes using cloud seeding, and their first attempt took place in October that year. Believe it or not, but the cloud seeding caused the hurricane to suddenly change direction, resulting in lots of damage in the state of Georgia. Naturally, the people of Georgia were none too happy, and they filed a lawsuit which was dismissed after the defendants found examples of hurricanes suddenly changing course in the past, specifically in 1906, around the time Charles Hatfield was active in his own weather experiments. Funny that. In all seriousness, it seems the same happened in the United Kingdom with Project Cumulus in the 1950s. Many believe that a massive flood in 1952 was caused by the British military's cloud seeding operations, though this was also largely dismissed on the grounds that this region had flooded before. Now, the Georgia incident reportedly paused cloud seeding research in the United States for a decade. 
If true, this may be a tacit admission by the US government that Project Cirrus may in fact have caused that hurricane to change course in 1947. At the very least, it means they didn't know for sure or just didn't want to be judged in the court of public opinion. Maybe both. At the same time, however, it's equally likely that the US government continued to experiment with cloud seeding in secret, and this is because of all the secret cloud seeding programs that were revealed shortly afterwards by inquisitive journalists, such as Operation Popeye in the 1960s and 70s. Now, if you watched our video about the mysterious food plant disruptions, you'll know Operation Popeye involved creating severe storms over the Ho Chi Minh Trail used by the Viet Cong during the Vietnam War. Operation Popeye was halted in 1972 after an article in the New York Times blew the lid on it. What's odd is that the US military claimed that they stopped the operation because their attempts at weather manipulation had failed. This is despite the fact that the US and 47 other countries signed the Environmental Modification Convention a few years later, prohibiting weather modification in warfare. Now, logically, this suggested that Operation Popeye was much more effective than the US military was letting on, and this efficacy was effectively proven when countries such as Russia and China started actively modifying their weather for domestic purposes in the 1980s. Beijing modifying the weather to keep the opening ceremony dry during the 2008 Olympics is probably the most famous example of weather modification in recent years, and there's really no shortage of examples from all around the world. Check Wikipedia if you don't believe me. As of 2017, there were over 50 countries actively engaging in weather modification to, quote, disperse fog, enhance rain and snowfall, and suppress hail, according to the World Meteorological Organization. Note that the sources for everything in this video are in the description. Only facts here, no fiction. Now, the prevalence of weather modification begs the question of just how effective the process actually is. The answer ultimately depends on which kind of weather modification method we're talking about. The most common method is, of course, cloud seeding. There are actually many ways of seeding clouds, but they all follow the same principle that Vincent Schaeffer discovered almost 80 years ago, and that's creating something in the cloud for the ice and rain to form around. This first way to seed a cloud is to use some kind of salt, including silver iodide, potassium iodide, dry ice, as Vincent did, and even standard table salt. Under the right conditions, spraying these salts into a cloud will cause ice to form around the salt, which then results in rain. This is the basic explanation. The second way to seed a cloud is to shoot it with lasers, and yes, this is obviously my preferred method. This approach to seeding clouds has been around since at least 2010, but there doesn't seem to be much public information about it. This might have something to do with the fact that seeding clouds with lasers is apparently extremely effective. Case in point, in a 2014 news report about laser cloud seeding, the newscaster and guest explain that this technology could allow governments to make it rain at the click of a button and even control the trajectory and intensity of storms. The link will be in the description. It's truly crazy stuff. Now, the third way to seed a cloud is similarly sci-fi, and that's to use electricity. 
Zapping clouds with electricity using drones is actually how the United Arab Emirates creates artificial rain. And as far as I understand, it's a brand new approach to cloud seeding that was first tried last year in Dubai. The effectiveness of seeding clouds with electricity is also unclear, but the fact it continues to be used by the UAE in lieu of the other available approaches suggests that it's the most effective. For reference, the UAE is extremely wealthy, meaning that every other approach is in fact available to the country. That said, research by UAE scientists suggests that standard cloud seeding, meaning with salts, can quote, enhance rainfall by as much as 30 to 35% in a clear atmosphere and by up to 10 to 15% in a turbid atmosphere. Note that these statistics are from way back in 2015. What's reassuring is that these statistics are consistent with a cloud seeding study by the University of Wyoming, which lasted from 2008 to 2013 and found that cloud seeding can increase precipitation by up to 15%. Note that these statistics also apply to salt-based cloud seeding and are also arguably outdated. It's also important to point out that the effectiveness of cloud seeding almost always depends on pre-existing weather conditions. For example, cloud seeding is believed to work much better on clouds that form over large bodies of water, such as oceans and seas. Conversely, the absence of clouds makes cloud seeding next to impossible because, well, there are no clouds to seed. Luckily for governments looking to modify the weather, however, there are many ways to create clouds artificially. I'll leave a link in the description to a video that shows you one effective method. Now, if you're feeling overwhelmed by all these weather modification revelations, you're in for a real treat because cloud seeding isn't the only way that governments can modify the weather. Some of you may have heard of the US government's High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program, or HARP, in Alaska, which lasted from 1990 to 2014. HARP was subsequently declassified and its facility was handed over to the University of Alaska for academic use in 2015. If you've heard of HARP, it's because it is famous for being the go-to example given by conspiracy theorists who claim the government can control the world's weather using HARP's Ionospheric Research Instrument, or ISI. This mostly has to do with a bunch of patents filed by physicist Bernard Eastland which implied that HARP's ICI could do everything from disrupting military communications to influencing the moods of individuals around the world. A sort of directed energy weapon, if you will. While the HARP facility in the United States was shuttered in 2014, similar facilities continue to operate in other countries, notably in Norway and Russia. Some have taken this as evidence that some of the claims in Bernard's patents were true. Now, the science of HARP is outside the scope of this video, but I'll leave a link to an excellent video about the experiment by Curious Droid in the description. He's a fellow British YouTuber whose content helped with the creation of this video, so be sure to send him my regards and subscribe to his channel. Now, the next frontier for weather modification is space, specifically using satellites to beam large amounts of energy into storms to make them stronger or weaker. A job for Elon Musk if ever there was one. Not like he'd have the time, though. 
Speaking of billionaires, another outlandish way that we might soon modify the weather is by spraying dust into the atmosphere to block out the sun. This brilliant idea was brought to you by none other than Bill Gates, who is currently funding a company to do exactly that. There are also lots of new weather modification methods that are taking a bottom-up approach. One example is pumping air into the lower waters of seas and oceans to bring cold water up to the surface. The cool air this cold water creates can be used to weaken or even eliminate hurricanes. Pumping air into lower waters is already being done in countries like Norway to bring up salty water and prevent freezing around hydroelectric power plants so they can continue operating through the winter. Another example of a novel bottom-up approach is to spray salt water into the sky to reflect some of the sun's light back into space. There are actually concerns, though, that this and other methods, such as pumping air into lower waters, could actually cool the oceans too much and cause other unwanted weather issues. In my opinion, the most promising weather modification method was proposed in a 2013 TED Talk by scientist Alan Savory, titled, quote, How to Green the World's Deserts and Reverse Climate Change. It's quite possibly one of the most amazing videos you will ever watch, and I'll leave a link in the description. In short, the world is slowly turning into a desert, and this trend will continue regardless of whether all the mainstream climate action targets are met, namely eliminating emissions and fossil fuels of all kinds. Note that deserts create lots of heat, which causes the kinds of extreme weather we've seen lately. Alan's solution is so simple that it's almost stupid. This is to guide animals to graze around the land without interference, the way they did historically. With this simple solution, Alan has managed to turn literal deserts into green and watery oases around the world. Just look at this comparison image. Now, if that wasn't incredible enough, Alan thinks this solution could solve climate change in a matter of years while simultaneously enriching developing countries through all the animal product production and exports. The availability of meat in developing countries would also significantly improve nutrition. As a cherry on top, all the emission reductions, limits on energy use and other such policies would not be needed since all the additional greenery would absorb all the CO2 while simultaneously cooling the world. Seriously, watch that video and share it with your friends and family while you're at it. Now, given all these facts, stats and solutions, you might be wondering why weather modification is seldom discussed in the context of climate change or even just extreme weather events like droughts, floods and fires that have recently been ravaging the planet. As far as I can tell, this is because governments admitting to widespread weather modification is likely to raise more questions than answers, namely why governments aren't using this technology to combat climate change or extreme weather events, especially revolutionary solutions like Allen's guided grazing. To be clear, there have been some reports of countries using weather modification methods to address weather extremes, such as China, which tried to end its record-breaking droughts with cloud seeding over the summer. What doesn't make sense, however, is that these countermeasures always seem to be less effective than the proactive ones. This is where a bit of science-based speculation comes in. As I mentioned earlier, 48 countries signed the Environmental Modification Convention in the 1970s to prevent the use of weather modification in warfare. 
As of 2022, there are 78 countries which have joined the convention. Even so, that doesn't guarantee that these countries aren't still using weather modification as a form of warfare. It just may not be as overt as, say, creating abnormally massive storms over Vietnam. Here's a great example to illustrate what I mean that I also mentioned in our food plant disruptions video. In the 1980s, the Soviet Union used cloud seeding after the Chernobyl nuclear plant meltdown to ensure that radioactive rain fell on Belarus instead of Moscow. Now, riddle me this. Did the Soviet Union use weather for military purposes in this scenario? The answer is not that clear, and it would be hard to prove either way because the Soviet Union could claim the rainfall was natural, whereas Belarus could claim it was not, assuming it even knew at all. This is simply because weather modification can't always be detected, especially with the newer types of technologies. Weather also isn't contained to a single country. It crosses borders and boundaries, and this means what happens within a country could easily affect the country next door. This is why there is lots of speculation in India that China is stealing India's rain by causing it to rain prematurely on the Chinese side of the mountain range that divides both countries. This wouldn't be surprising given that China is heavily testing weather modification in this region, including in Nepal. Now, you can sum up this speculation in a sentence from an article about China's weather modification by Futurism. Quote, if one country is able to control its own weather, it could in theory do so elsewhere. In other words, countries might be actively trying to manipulate each other's weather. Bringing up this technology could shed light on questionable practices by domestic and foreign governments, leading to very serious domestic and foreign conflicts. This ties into the very real possibility that governments are manipulating their own weather to take more control of their own citizens. After all, if you can control the weather, you can control the food supply, and that's the kind of power that the folks at the World Economic Forum are explicitly seeking. More about that using the link in the description. Anecdotes aside, the fact of the matter is that governments have the technology to make extreme weather events better or worse or rarer or more frequent. This is terrifying given how governments have been acting lately, and it's something that must therefore be part of any environmental discussions. So I'll leave you with this thought. Once upon a time, humans engaged in rituals to appease the gods to influence the weather. It looks like we're starting to see history repeat, except it's other humans with powerful technologies playing god, demanding compliance in exchange for better weather. This may not be the case today, but mark my words, at the rate that weather modification technology is advancing, it will almost certainly be the case tomorrow, and in some places, it probably is already. Be on the lookout, and remember to question the weather and don't just complain about it like us Brits do. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. 
OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Back in March, U.S. President Joe Biden signed an executive order about cryptocurrency, which instructed all relevant government agencies to produce reports about crypto and how to regulate it. The deadline for these reports was earlier this month, and last week, the White House put together a summary of these reports, as well as their regulatory recommendations. Today, I'm going to explain what the White House's crypto framework says in simple terms, and tell you exactly what it could mean for the crypto market. The document I'll be discussing today is titled, quote, Fact Sheet, White House Releases First Ever Comprehensive Framework for Responsible Development of Digital Assets. 
It was published on the 16th of September, and I'll leave a link to the full text in the description if you're interested. Now, the White House's crypto framework begins with a juicy statistic, and that's that around 16% of Americans hold crypto as part of their personal portfolios. This is a few percentage points shy of the 21% of Americans who have ever held crypto, according to research by NBC News. Respect to the hodlers. The authors go on to explain that crypto has the potential to, quote, reinforce U.S. leadership in the global financial system. However, they caution that these potential benefits come with risks and cite Terra's collapse in May as an example, without naming any names. What's odd is the authors claim that Terra's collapse caused $600 billion of damage to the crypto market in the months that followed. This is highly debatable as there were other macro factors that caused the crypto market to go lower, namely the stock market, which was also crashing around that time. In any case, the authors touch on Biden's executive order about cryptocurrency from back in March and explain that all the relevant agencies have spent six months putting together their respective reports. The result is a series of policy recommendations related to six areas of focus in the executive order. These are, quote, consumer and investor protection, promoting financial stability, countering illicit finance, U.S. leadership in the global financial system, financial inclusion, and responsible innovation. The authors reveal that a total of nine reports were provided to the White House by U.S. agencies. We summarized one of them last weekend, and you can find out what crazy things that report said using the link in the description. Now, the authors also reveal that these nine reports, quote, reflect the input and expertise of diverse stakeholders across government, industry, academia, and civil society. Obviously, there are a lot of loaded terms here, and it certainly begs the question of exactly which personnel they consulted. What's particularly questionable is that these reports focus on, quote, helping cutting-edge U.S. firms find footholds in global markets. Now, I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but crypto isn't about private companies establishing global dominance. It's about competition between decentralized developers. Naturally, the authors also single out crypto mining as an area of concern and call for, quote, common sense efficiency standards. I reckon what counts as common sense depends on who you ask. And as the saying goes, common sense is not that common. If that wasn't spooky enough, the authors say the reports call on the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department to accelerate the development of a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. They even call for the creation of a, quote, interagency working group to develop a digital dollar. This is more significant than you think because it suggests that the Federal Reserve and Treasury Department could eventually become one and the same. In fact, some would say this is inevitable given the trend towards hyper-centralization in the financial system. Spooky stuff indeed. Now, the rest of the crypto framework gives a summary of the policy recommendations for the six areas of focus I mentioned earlier. You'll recall, I hope, that one of these is, quote, consumer and investor protection, which has been used to justify all kinds of things in recent years. In this case, the authors go straight for the jugular. Quote, 
Digital assets pose meaningful risks for consumers, investors, and businesses. Not surprisingly, there is absolutely no mention of the rewards that come with greater risks, nor the benefits of cryptocurrency. Instead, the authors focus on the negatives, including crypto's volatility and the lack of transparency around cryptocurrency. Interestingly, they cite a study by the Wall Street Journal from 2018, which found that a quarter of cryptocurrency ICOs had transparency issues. That's actually not as bad as I thought. In all seriousness, the authors take it one step too far when they claim that quote outright fraud, scams, and theft in digital asset markets are on the rise. According to FBI statistics, reported monetary losses from digital asset scams. Were nearly 600% higher in 2021 than the year before. Now there seems to be some sleight of hand going on here because crypto prices were much higher in 2021 than they were in 2020. As such, it's to be expected that the monetary losses from crypto scams would be much higher in fiat terms while staying the same in terms of frequency. Very sneaky indeed. Unfortunately, the real facts and stats are not of much concern to the authors, and they reveal the steps the current administration will take to address consumer and investor protection in cryptocurrency. First, it will instruct the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, and the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC, to quote aggressively pursue investigations and enforcement actions against crypto projects and companies. Looks like the SEC is ahead of the curve on that one. Second, it will instruct the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, or CFPB, and Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, to quote monitor consumer complaints and to enforce against unfair, deceptive, or abusive practices. If the CFPB sounds familiar, that's because it's one of the many organizations that were created as part of the Dodd Frank Act in 2010. For reference, the Dodd Frank Act was put together by Michael Barr in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. As it so happens, Michael Barr is the current vice chair for supervision at the Fed. This is significant because this position was also created by the Dodd Frank Act. More about that and what it means for the crypto market using the link in the description. Now, the third step the current administration will take to protect consumers and investors will be to instruct various agencies to quote address current and emergent risks in cryptocurrency. I couldn't help but notice that the authors don't clarify what kinds of risks the administration is concerned about. Finally, the current administration will instruct the Financial Literacy Education Commission or FLEC to quote Help consumers understand the risks involved. Call me crazy, but I don't think they'll be talking very much about the benefits of crypto. It also reminds me of the International Monetary Fund or IMF's campaign to educate about, that is, promote CBDCs and educate about, aka discredit, cryptocurrency in countries around the world. What would we do without these unaccountable international organizations, eh? Now, the second set of crypto policy recommendations relates to financial conclusion, and this is where the authors drop some more juicy statistics. Quote: Roughly seven million Americans have no bank account. Another twenty-four million rely on costly non-bank services. 
As a random fact, I first heard this statistic when listening to the testimony of cryptocurrency CEOs earlier this year, which we also summarized, by the way. Believe it or not, but around 5% of Americans are unbanked and another 14% are underbanked, meaning they use non-bank services for finance. Rather than leaning in to these efficient non-bank services provided by the private sector, the authors focus on the Fed's upcoming FedNow fast payment service as the solution. Note that fast payment services are a precursor to CBDCs, according to the Bank for International Settlements, or BIS. Now, to the author's credit, they do admit that some cryptocurrencies can make financial services more accessible, but also note that there's still lots of work to be done on that front. This is a valid point, but it again begs the question of which cryptocurrencies the authors are referring to, probably stablecoins. Regardless, the current administration is clearly dead set on the FedNow payment service. This is because it's the first step to addressing financial inclusion, which will be to, quote, encourage the adoption of the FedNow service in the US economy. What's particularly scary is that this step includes using FedNow payments, quote, in the context of distribution of disaster, emergency, or other government-to-consumer payments. Note that taxation and emergency relief is how governments around the world will likely achieve the adoption of CBDCs. And because there can't be any competition to these CBDCs, the second step the administration will take is to instruct regulators to crack down on non-banking entities. This presumably includes cryptocurrency exchanges, as many of them offer services similar to banks. In addition, the administration will, quote, align global payments practices, regulations, and supervision protocols. This means that there will be no escape from these dystopian systems once they're implemented, or at least that's the idea. To ensure that these dystopian systems are adopted at all, the administration will instruct the National Science Foundation, or NSF, plenty of acronyms in today's video, aren't there, to research, quote, behavioral economics in the context of fast payments. Basically, figure out how you can convince Americans to adopt the Fed's dystopian technology. As a fun fact, the BIS estimates that between 4 and 12% of people will voluntarily adopt CBDCs in developed countries. The question then is how they'll convince those who will not voluntarily adopt CBDCs. Knowing governments, the answer will probably involve a lot of force and financial censorship. Anyways, the third set of crypto policy recommendations relates to financial stability. Here, the authors highlight the fact that the crypto market and the existing financial system are becoming more intertwined. They specify that stablecoins is where most of these connections are. On that note, I should explain why regulators are so concerned about stablecoins. In short, it's because most stablecoins are backed by US government debt. If stablecoins become too big and there is a run on a stablecoin issuer, they could dump these treasuries' assets on the open market. This is why it's a bit silly to use the collapse of Terra's UST stablecoin as an example of how much damage crypto could do to the existing financial system. I suppose the authors don't want to reveal that centralized stablecoins are a way of subsidizing US government spending. What the authors do reveal is that the Financial Stability Oversight Council, or FSOC, 
will be publishing a report about the risk crypto poses to financial stability in October. This report will be more significant than you think, and that's for two reasons. First, the FSOC was also created by the Dodd-Frank Act. If you watched our aforementioned video about Michael Barr, it really looks like he's eager to use his powers and the powers of these agencies to crack down on crypto when the next financial crisis comes around. This ties into the second reason why the FSOC's upcoming report is so important, and that's because it will be released around the time the crypto market will likely be seeing its bear market lows. This would make it the perfect time for Michael & Co. to exercise their powers. More about that in the description. Now, the authors go on to reference the stablecoin report put together by the President's Working Group on Financial Markets last year as a place for policymakers to start. We actually summarised that report too, and I recommend checking that video out sooner rather than later. Link is also in the description. Funnily enough, the current administration only identifies two steps it is planning to take to address the financial stability risks supposedly posed by cryptocurrency. The first is, quote, the Treasury will work with financial institutions to bolster their capacity to identify and mitigate cyber vulnerabilities. The second step is similarly strange, and that's to, quote, identify, track and analyze emerging strategic risks in cryptocurrencies. The fact that the authors couldn't identify any concrete financial stability risks caused by cryptocurrencies in these two steps suggests that there aren't any, at least not yet. Now, the fourth set of crypto policy recommendations relate to advancing, quote, responsible innovation. The authors start with another statistic, and that's that around half of the most valuable tech companies in the world are based in the United States. This might have something to do with all the backdoor deals these tech companies have with US intelligence agencies, but hey, let's not go there. Ironically, the authors underscore the US government's role in facilitating technological innovation in the private sector. If you're wondering just how innovative the government can be, check out our recent video about weather modification. Link will be in the description, of course. Now, factual conspiracies aside, the authors jump straight to the steps that the administration will take to preserve the peculiar dynamic between the public and private sectors. The first step will be to instruct the Office of Science and Technology Policy, or OSTP, to, quote, develop a digital assets research and development agenda. If you watched our aforementioned video about one of the White House's reports, you'll know that the OSTP isn't all that scientific. Meanwhile, the aforementioned NSF will, quote, back social science and education research that develops methods of informing, educating and training diverse groups of stakeholders. Sounds good on the surface, but there always seems to be something bad lurking down below with these crypto initiatives. Now, the second step will be to instruct the Treasury Department and other financial regulators to, quote, provide innovative US firms developing new financial technologies with regulatory guidance, best practices sharing, and technical assistance. This could actually be a very good thing if done right, because institutional investors have been itching for the regulatory clarity they need to invest in cryptocurrency. The regulatory uncertainty caused by Ethereum's transition to proof-of-stake is particularly concerning to both retail and institutions alike. 
The third step will be to instruct various environmental regulators to, you guessed it, quote, track digital assets' environmental impacts, develop performance standards as appropriate, and provide local authorities with the tools, resources, and expertise to mitigate environmental harms. The authors add that, quote, Opportunities exist to align the development of digital assets with transitioning to a net-zero emissions economy and improving environmental justice. This makes me wonder if they really will ban proof-of-work and whether they'll use some unscientific justification to do so. Now, the fourth and final step is interesting, as it involves, quote, establishing a standing forum to convene federal agencies, industry, academics, and civil society to exchange knowledge and ideas that could inform federal regulation, standards, coordinating activities, technical assistance, and research support. If the getting of all hands on deck to address cryptocurrency is not a sign that the government are threatened by crypto adoption, I don't know what is. Anywho, the fifth set of crypto policy recommendations relate to the status of the United States as a leader of the status quo of global finance, as well as the country's financial competitiveness. Incredibly, the authors commence by saying the quiet part out loud. Quote, Today, global standard-setting bodies are establishing policies, guidance, and regulatory recommendations for digital assets. The United States is working actively with its partners to set out these policies in line with our goals. In other words, unelected international organizations such as the Financial Action Task Force, or FATF, act in accordance with the interests of the United States. What's even more telling is that the authors explain that the United States has a, quote, valuable opportunity to partner with countries still developing their digital asset ecosystems. In other words, the U.S. is positioned to ensure that its dominance of the global financial system continues. To ensure all of the above, the administration will take the following steps. First, it will leverage the power of international organizations like the FATF to ensure, quote, U.S. values find their way into cryptocurrency. Note, this is code for financial control and financial surveillance, not freedom and liberty. Second, the administration will instruct various government agencies to partner with similar government agencies around the world. Oddly enough, this step does not include any mention of cryptocurrency, so maybe it's just a way of sneaking in some more global governance stuff. Third, the administration will help developing countries develop their digital asset infrastructure. If the IMF's help is anything to go by, this aid will come with lots of strings attached. Fourth, the administration will, quote, help cutting-edge U.S. financial technology and digital asset firms find a foothold in global markets for their products. This step also doesn't mention crypto, but I have a feeling this is a reference to regulated stablecoin issuers like Circle. If you missed the memo, Circle has started releasing stablecoins for other fiat currencies, notably the euro. I reckon it would be in the interest of the United States for Circle to provide its digital currency infrastructure to countries in Europe. It's certainly in the interest of BlackRock, which backs Circle. More about BlackRock in the description. Anyhow, the sixth set of policy recommendations relate to the favorite topic of anti-crypto critics, and that's illicit activity in cryptocurrency. The authors begin by revealing that the United States has been the entity pushing for KYC around the world. 
the authors then say something extremely concerning, and that's, quote, While our efforts have strengthened the U.S. financial system, digital assets, some of which are pseudonymous and can be transferred without a financial intermediary, have been exploited by bad actors. If you don't understand why this is so concerning, consider that every single cryptocurrency is pseudonymous and that every single cryptocurrency can be transferred without a financial intermediary. They're not talking about privacy coins here, they're talking about all cryptos. This rhetoric is consistent with the FATF's endgame of killing crypto by labeling any crypto transaction or activity that doesn't involve a regulated intermediary as high risk. And over time, the FATF will pressure countries to cease providing services to individuals and institutions who are high risk. As expected, the authors go on to give examples of crypto being used by bad actors for illicit purposes, and I couldn't help but notice that they didn't provide any statistics as concrete evidence. That's probably because they know that only 0.15% of all crypto transactions are related to illicit activity. For context, between 2 and 5% of all fiat transactions are related to illicit activity. This is despite all the extensive KYC and AML that's been enforced around the world by the FATF. As a matter of fact, it seems that the FATF's so-called recommendations have done next to nothing to reduce illicit finance over the last 30 years. All they've done is create a multi-billion dollar industry of compliance companies and justified lots of government overreach. More about all that in the description. Now, when it comes to the steps the current US administration will take to combat illicit activity in cryptocurrency, the first will be to call on US politicians to expand the Bank Secrecy Act to all of crypto. The authors explicitly state that this coverage will include DeFi and NFTs. This means that every crypto transaction worth more than $10,000 would have to be reported to the authorities, including peer-to-peer -peer crypto transactions, which you'll recall the authorities want to get rid of. Case in point, the administration will also push politicians to, quote, raise the penalties for unlicensed money transmitting, which presumably means going after DeFi protocols and possibly even crypto wallets. It will also push politicians to let the Department of Justice, quote, prosecute digital asset crimes in any jurisdiction where a victim of those crimes is found. To my understanding, this means the US government could go after crypto crimes anywhere in the world. Now, the second step the administration will take is to instruct the Treasury Department to publish two reports about the illicit finance risks of DeFi and NFTs. These reports will be released by the end of February and by July next year, respectively. We'll be sure to cover those when they come out. Now, the third step the administration will take is to, quote, continue to expose and disrupt illicit actors and address the abuse of digital assets. The details of this step suggest we will see more sanctions against crypto projects and protocols like Tornado Cash. The fourth step the administration will take is to work with the private sector to make sure it understands the illicit financing risks of cryptocurrency. I suspect this will include labeling certain crypto activities as high risk as per the FATF's game plan. I also couldn't help but notice that the authors reveal that, quote, the CFPB, an independent agency, 
also voluntarily provided information to the administration as to risks arising from digital assets. This is suspicious, as you'll recall that the CFPB was created by the Dodd-Frank Act, which was written by an individual who seems to be out to kill cryptocurrency. Watch out. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Now, the final part of the White House's crypto policy recommendations relate to a digital dollar CBDC. It seems that this was snuck in as well, since it wasn't exactly emphasized at the beginning of the fact sheet. The authors start by talking about all the benefits that a digital dollar would bring, benefits that could just as easily be achieved by an existing non-bank entity or cryptocurrency. 
These include financial inclusion, cross-border payments, you know, the usual talking points. It's towards the end of the first paragraph where the authors reveal the real reason why the US government wants a digital dollar, and that's because it could, quote, help preserve US global financial leadership and support the effectiveness of sanctions. As the recent sanctions against Russia's central bank have shown, however, these two goals seem to be mutually exclusive. No sane country would adopt a digital dollar if it meant the US government could effectively turn off its economy at the flick of a switch. This degree of power would be possible if the USD maintains its reserve currency status in a digital form, hence why the two goals are mutually exclusive. Either the USD remains neutral to be the world's reserve currency, or it is weaponized at the expense of this status. The more you know. Now, the authors reveal that, quote, the administration has developed policy objectives for a US CBDC system which reflect the federal government's priorities for a potential US CBDC. Put differently, the ball is already rolling towards the creation of a digital dollar. The authors reiterate that the Treasury Department will work hand-in-hand with the Federal Reserve to develop a digital dollar, again foreshadowing the possibility of these two entities merging, as many have predicted. And, of course, there was no mention of all the downsides of a CBDC. If you've watched any of our videos about CBDCs, you'll know that they will give governments the power to decide how you spend, where you spend, and what you spend your money on, and even how much you can save. That's just on the individual level. At the economic level, CBDCs will make borrowing extremely expensive due to their effects on bank lending and profitability. Good luck getting a mortgage. It'll also mean that the stock market itself will be manipulated. Think Robinhood blocking trades during the GameStop saga, but on steroids. So, this brings me to the big question, and that's what the White House's crypto framework means for the crypto market. To be blunt, it's not good. It's clear that the current administration wants to crush cryptocurrency. If you've seen any of our summaries of crypto-related testimonies, this should not come as a surprise. Logically, then, it means that the success of the crypto policy recommendations laid out in the framework ultimately depends on what happens during the next election cycles in the United States. It looks like pro-crypto politicians will gain ground in the upcoming midterms, but at this point it's anyone's guess as to what the outcome of the 2024 election will be. That's going to be the more significant election since it's around the time the next crypto bull run should come. Take note. If pro-crypto politicians do gain ground in the upcoming midterms, then I reckon most of these anti-crypto policies will never be pursued. Then again, so many of them are being undertaken by unelected officials that have been appointed by anti-crypto politicians, so it's uncertain. One thing is for sure, however, and that's that a wave of regulation is coming to the crypto industry. Some of it will be reasonable, and we could see large institutional inflows as a result. It's the unreasonable regulation that we must be on the lookout for. This includes labelling of all crypto-related activities as high-risk as a way of choking off and eventually killing the industry. Given that the United States is behind the international organizations engaging in this kind of guerrilla regulation, American voters might be the ones who decide 
what comes next for crypto at the end of the day. As such, I strongly suggest that any American viewers inform themselves about pro-crypto candidates in their areas. You'll notice that pro-crypto politicians sit on both sides of the aisle, so you should be able to find one you can support regardless of your political stripes. I'll leave a link to Coinbase's crypto politician tool in the description if you need it, and I'll leave you with this thought. The crypto world is counting on you to make sure financial freedom continues. Financial freedom is required for everything else. Last I checked, freedom is an American value. So, let's see it ring. Thank you so much for listening to the Coin Bureau podcast. If you'd like to learn more about cryptocurrency, you can visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash coinbureau. You can also go to coinbureau.com for loads more information about all things crypto. You can follow me on Twitter at at coinbureau, all one word. And I'm also active on TikTok and Instagram too. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.